You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights for our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Today's program begins with a highlight from the Voice of Charity program. Let's listen in. Welcome to the Voice of Charity. I'm Marie Jokum. And I'm Bridget Murphy. Marie, do you know what today is? I do, but I'm really excited for you to tell all of our listeners. <laughs> okay. It's uh, not just December 1st. No, special day that it is. Today is Giving Tuesday, a fantastic grassroots movement that started, I can't believe this now, in 2012 and is now an international symbol of goodwill in the holiday season. So as as all of you know by now, it goes Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. uh, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Saturday, Cyber Monday. I mean, honestly, and today, the greatest day of all, <laughs> Giving day Tuesday. Of all. Greatest day of all. You know, I think it is crazy to think how much money is raised yeah. on this particular day. Um, I saw a statistic that said last year, Giving Tuesday campa- campaigns raised $1.9 billion worldwide. That's an insane amount of money with $511 million of that raised in the United States. And I think, you know, it is such a symbol, um, particularly in this time and in this space that we inhabit of the generosity of people um, in giving. Absolutely. And I think it's it's also a testament to a lot of small gifts working together. I think on Giving Tuesday, you see a lot of people giving Ten dollars, twenty dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars, and that all absolutely adds up, as you mentioned. Um, certainly, we we hope if you're able, you can include Catholic charities in your giving today. We want to share just a little bit about our work, um, particularly during the pandemic. Before we get to our guests, um, just from March through October, uh, we have provided almost a million dollars, eight hundred and forty-eight thousand in financial assistance to keep people in their home. So those are people who might have lost jobs mm-hmm. or wages and need some help in order to make their rent so that they're not evicted. You can imagine how important that is. Um, we have answered more than 59,000 homelessness prevention hotline calls. Um, there is a moratorium on evictions at the moment, but when that is lifted as we come out of this pandemic, we will still have people facing that calamity. And important to some of the services we're going to talk about later today, we are providing mental health services uh, via video and telephone to more than 1,000 adults and children. So just um, 
Please, as you give today, and we know there are many, many worthy causes out there, and we're happy to partner with so many of them, um, we ask you to remember us today. Yeah, and you know, Bridget, I think what's been so great, too, if you're a listener of ours or if you're watching us on YouTube, um, you've heard the stories of our programs, and so this is how we help support them. So thank you. Today, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the spirit of St. Nicholas Ball. So for the past 30 years, Catholic Charities has hosted a really, really special Christmas gathering called the Spirit of St. Nicholas in downtown Chicago. We honor the legacy of St. Nicholas. I know I was a big fan of his when I was a kid growing up. Put those shoes out, get some good stuff in there. Um, so we we honor that by gathering with our friends and also raising crucial funds for our programs and services that benefit particularly children and families. But- So this year's Spirit of St. Nicholas will be, of course, a virtual event um, this Friday, December 4th. I can't believe it's here. And we thought it would be fun to give you a little preview of this exciting online party and invite really all of you to join in from the comfort of your home. And with us today are two ladies who have been working nonstop both on the ball and on some of the services that the ball makes possible. Annie Scully Tempus is Special Events Manager at Catholic Charities. Any longtime listener has heard uh, Annie on the show before. And also, <clears throat> excuse me, with us is Laura Coover, who is Associate Vice President for Child, Youth, and Family Services. Welcome, Annie and Laura. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be with you guys. Well, we're so happy to have you. And I have been in touch with Annie a little bit on this event. And I have to say, it is very fun because everything wraps around St. Nicholas, which is, as you mentioned, Marie, such a fun and um, really charismatic person. So why don't, Annie, if you can start, tell us a little bit about the event. But if you could, um, a little something about St. Nicholas we might not know. Oh, gosh. Well, I would hate to spoil the surprises that we have for our special guest. Oh, good answer. Sister Barbara Reed is joining us to actually give us an in-depth profile of um, who St. Nicholas was, his legend, um, and how he became who he is today. Uh, Sister Barbara happens to be the president-elect of Catholic Theological Union, so we are in great hands learning it from her. Um, But she will go into a lot of the stories about how St. Nicholas has, um, through legend and history and myth, um, come to be known as the protector and secret giver of children, which I think that a lot of our supporters today can identify with, that spirit of giving and often giving uh, in ways known only to you and to God. Um, So we're, we're really excited for that to be a part of our program this year. I think um, of course, the, the ball gets its name from St. Nicholas, and, um, and we're, we're, we try to you know, make the spirit and the feeling and all of the celebration kind of encapsulate that, that special tradition that we have. I love that you are kind of bringing in sort of like an educational piece. Um, I think some of the things that it sounds like you guys have prepared for this virtual event are really different. Um, So I encourage anyone listening that this is unique and creative. It's not your run-of-the-mill virtual event. True. Um, So, Annie, can you tell us a little bit more about, like, what that's going to look like? So what's going to be included on Friday night uh, if, if folks join? Absolutely. 
the program is free to join, by the way. So anybody listening um, is welcome to join free of cost, and we'll provide those details a little later on. Um, but we will uh, go into uh, a recap of all the great work that, that you've mentioned um, many times on your show that Catholic Charities has done over the past year, um, you know, during this COVID crisis that is at once extremely um, impactful in the lives of, of children um, and also, you know, just, just so um, critical for their families to have the support that Catholic Charities has. Um, so that will be at the forefront of our discussion and, and celebration, really, because there has been such wonderful work being done. Um, our president, Sally Blount, and uh, Cardinal Blaise Stupich will also be joining us to, to talk about that work and, you know, the, the wonderful ways that we can reflect on it at this time of year. Um, we will, as mentioned, have Sister Barbara with us talking about uh, that mythical but historical figure, uh, St. Nicholas. We'll have Laura Coover with us as well, who you'll hear from in a, in a bit, talking a little bit more in depth about uh, the support that we're offering to children and families right now. Um, and as is characteristic at every in-person St. Nicholas celebration, we'll have some uh, musical performances uh, that, that you can enjoy at home. Um, and we'll end with a, a special sort of story that the St. Nicholas Ball Committee uh, which is a group of uh, 30 wonderful couples uh, have prepared uh, from from near and far uh, to give a holiday greeting. This is going to be so fun. And also, <laughs> one of my coping um, serotonin-boosting activities during the pandemic <laughs> has been at-home dance parties. So I'm definitely coming. I was struck last year. It was my first one. So for folks... Um, who've never been, because it's not a cheap ticket. We're raising money for really crucial services. Um, but it is lovely and festive, and people are dressed to the nines. But it is when the Ken Arlen Orchestra, which is, I don't know, like 100 people, <laughs> starts playing. I have never seen so many people on a small dance floor in my life clearly having the time of their life. Um, you know, usually you have those people reticent to dance who are kind of huddled around their tables and enjoying good conversation. There's very little of that at this event. It seems like everyone's on the dance floor. So it'll be fun to have the orchestra as part of that. Annie, kudos to you. Love that. Love that. And, you know, well, I think as we... Um, as we think about what this supports, what all that great dancing that you'll get to do from the comfort of your own home <laughs> in your jammies, if you want, Christmas jammies, maybe, I don't know, or put on a ball gown. All of this is to support real people on the ground um, who are in need. And so, Laura, we're going to we're going to let you chat because I know you've got good stuff to tell us. Can you share with us what are your primary responsibilities um, in the Child, Youth and Family Service area? I know we've had many of your workers on our program um, um, in the past, but share with us the big picture. Sure thing. Thanks, Marie. So being the Associate Vice President of our Child Youth and Family Services allows me the great pleasure to work with our Youth Counseling Department, which includes eight programs that provide mental health services to youth and their families. I also get to work with our Transforming Lives program, which I believe that you had Siobhan uh, Parker, the program director on your show, yes. which yes. provides doula and home visiting services to pregnant and postpartum women who suffer from an opiate use disorder. 
And then finally, I get to provide uh, performance and quality improvement support to all of the programs in our service area. Just a few things, Laura. Just a few yeah, things. Just a couple. But you know, I, I think I'm clearly not bored. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And how important this work is that you're doing right now. Um, you know, just the the idea of mental health. We talked about the importance of the services and how good we are at Catholic Charities in providing them. So, just for our listeners, you know, this is the real deal. These these folks are doing the thing. That's right. And Laura, tell us about the transformation you had to make when the pandemic started. Um, you explained that so well. In just two days, you went from never doing telehealth to all telehealth. Yep, you got it. So in the middle of the March, when the governor issued the stay-at-home order, our youth counseling department had never provided virtual services to our clients. We just, there wasn't a need to do it. And we just, you know, it seemed to be a really big task. And um, we just, you know, hadn't made any movement in that direction yet. Um, so we went from never providing a telehealth service to transitioning 100% of our services to help telehealth within only 48 hours, which is truly amazing, even though I got to experience it. Looking back at it, I'm still completely over, overwhelmed with how amazing the staff were and are that they were able to do that. And things, of course, for us were a little bumpy at first as um, we were trying to get our footing and figure things out in this new way. But our staff have been so innovative and creative, and they're really quickly able to successfully implement all of our services in this new way. And Laura, tell us, um, I think everyone can understand the stress and anxiety that um, the pandemic has layered on top of some already pretty intense need. But tell us particularly about the the children and how, you know, being in and out of school, being isolated at home, you know, they're they're seeing their parents stressed. They're seeing some some of them have lost a parent. Um, mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit about what your therapists are seeing and how they're able to help. Sure. So we're finding that our clients are dealing with many of the same issues that they've always dealt with, which for us includes trauma, depression, anxiety, family systems, dysfunctions. Um, however, there are now, like you said, Bridget, additional challenges that are compounding an already really challenging situation. Our clients are now socially isolated, which, as you can imagine, only makes symptoms of depression worse. We're also faced with a contagious worldwide pandemic which for someone who's dealing with anxiety, it can often make the anxiety symptoms unbearable. And then additionally, our clients are facing challenges with meeting their basic needs, such as food, housing. And while our therapists typically have been able to focus on the mental health concerns of our clients, they're now being forced to focus first on the basic needs of our clients, because we know if our clients' basic needs are unmet, then they are unable to make progress on their journey towards the more stable mental health. Like you mentioned, Bridget, our clients are also dealing with grief and loss issues at a great, much greater volume than we have ever seen before, and they are continuing to try to navigate the social unrest and the impact that this has had on them and their families. Our primary goal always with counseling services um, is to meet the client where the client is and focus on what the client needs to focus on in that moment. Our um, intent is to help our clients improve their lives. So we are on board with getting there, however it makes the most sense to those clients that we're serving. 
You know, Laura, when I'm listening to you talk, obviously, you know, our our primary concern at at Catholic Charities are the people that we serve and our clients and and just the the incredible amount of stress and anxiety on them. And these are children, right? These are young people. But I also can't help but think about your workers, um, about the social workers who are doing this work while also dealing with many of these same things, right? I mean, they're they're superheroes, but they're they're still people. Um, so I just huge kudos to you and to your team um, in in trying to meet the needs of the clients, but also in pivoting to this new way of working um, in their own dealing with stress and anxiety and and the pandemic. Um, Laura, I promised that you would maybe share with our listeners some a story of of Catholic Charities being there for a child and or family this year. Sure, I'd love to. So I'm going to talk about Aisha. And Aisha is an eight-year-old who has been receiving services, counseling services, through our Youth and Family Therapeutic Services Program. So during one of the sessions, Aisha's therapist engaged her in a scavenger hunt. Aisha has a history of having trouble verbally expressing herself. Therefore, the therapist thought a visual representation would work best for Aisha. During the scavenger hunt, Aisha showed engagement, enthusiasm, and interest in the hunt. She was able to share many aspects of her life. For example, she shared a closet that made her feel safe. She talked about loving her black skin when asked if, if there is something that she loves about herself. And she also talked about her family as something that she cannot live without. She shared with the therapist a portrait of her grandmother who recently passed away due to COVID, bringing her peace. During the session, Aisha and the therapist were also able to have a rich and insightful conversation about the grieving process and about her self-esteem. Aisha expressed that she enjoys therapy a lot and shared in session that therapy teaches her something new about herself each time. Oh, Laura. Don't you love it? I mean, I'm and crying. This, I'm here yeah, in the I mean, studio this, crying. This is one. Marie, this is one of hundreds of stories that we have yes. about the amazing work that we're doing. And, um, you know, even in this very challenging way of delivering our services, we're still able to positively impact the children and families that we serve. I mean, I think this is an incredible. There's so many things that stand out to me in this story. Um Aisha, her therapist, the creativity to think about doing a scavenger hunt. I mean, that's brilliant. Uh, Well done, all of you. And I think this really speaks to the incredible importance of things like the spirit of St. Nicholas Ball, like Giving Tuesday. We wouldn't be able to have the therapists that we have without financial support. We wouldn't be able to do to work with the Aishas of the world without financial support. So this is my uh, ad-libbed plug um, that this this fundraising is crucial to the work that we do. And so bless you, Laura, for this work, but also thank you to everyone who's thinking about about giving to us and joining the Spirit of St. Nicholas Ball. Right. And I think, you know, children is really, children are the through line of what we're talking about today. their their innocence and vulnerability and their excitement at Christmas time. That's why we always talk about Christmas as being a time for children, the way they look at the tree, the way they talk about stories about Santa, all that all that magic is really because of children. And I think what touches us so much about kids is all that potential. And I think what Laura's team does and what a lot of Catholic Charities programs do is try to remove what obstacles we can to those kids and their families reaching that potential and 
we all want every child to have mm -hmm. as many opportunities as possible and as few obstacles as possible. And so, you know, one of the best things we can do for a kid is let someone know that, that they're cared about and that they're seen and that they're unique. And um, I think that's really special about what your team does, Laura. Can you share one more um, story? Maybe I, I know you've shared with me um, a child who um, who sort of expressed concern about their parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is, I don't want to, you know, um, give too much of a preview of the story I'm going to be sharing at the ball on Friday night. But um, yeah, we had a client whose uh, mom obviously was was suffering from symptoms of depression and was having a hard time getting out of bed. And when we were meeting with this young boy, he was about 12 years old, um, he shared with us how concerned he was because his mommy wouldn't get up. And it's just so heartbreaking to have such a young child right. hear something that's, that's so scary, you know, and not knowing what's going on with his mom. And so we were able to engage with mom, thankfully, and we were able to get her, give her some of the services that she needs. And so as a result, she was able to improve and take better care of her child. And so we, we still have both mom and our boy in, in therapy, um, both individually, and we get to do some work with them together. Uh, and their family system is, is improving. You know, it's, it's not easy because there's so many things still going on in the world that is only making symptoms of depression harder to manage right now. Um, but thankfully, mom gets out of bed every day now. So that that is a step in the right direction for this family. I think this is just incredible to hear all of this. And, and I know that now I am really excited to join. So this is a good spot, Annie. Can you tell it? How do folks get to come? How do they get to give? Yeah, they can. As I mentioned, it's free to attend. Um, there will be just a simple link that you click on your computer or your phone and you'll watch a live broadcast. And you can access that just by emailing me. And my email address is ASCULLY at CatholicCharities.net. Great. And for those folks who are maybe watching it um, on YouTube or who are, will watch this later, um, you'll be able to, you can access that on our website and we'll, we'll have somewhere written Annie's email out. Um, I'm looking at the producers. I hope that's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so Annie's um, name is, is Ann Scully. So uh, A. Scully, we'll just repeat it one more time. A. Scully, A-S-C-U-L-L-Y at catholiccharities.net. I think um, it's a great chance just to have some fun, hear about St. Nicholas, hear about some Christmas traditions, enjoy the orchestra. I think there are a couple other surprises in store. Um, and enjoy, you know, enjoy some festivity along with supporting some really important work. For more information about Catholic Charities, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Our next segment comes from the Office for Human Dignity and Solidarity and the Fully Alive radio program. This month, co-hosts Don Fitzpatrick and Ray Pingoy explored how Mary and Joseph's journey applies to our own lives. Here's a highlight.
Good morning, Chicago. Thanks for joining us here on the Fully Alive radio program, which is the radio program of the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity at the Archdiocese of Chicago. I'm Dawn Fitzpatrick from Respect Life Ministries, and my co-host this morning, properly socially distant from the beautiful state of Indiana, is Ray Pingoy. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Socially distanced indeed. Wow. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we've ever hosted together in this fashion, have we? No, I don't think we have. Yeah, it's it's, uh, this is something new to me. I I can't see you. I know. I know. (laughs) So it's 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 always kind of nice to be able to make eye contact with your co-host, but um, but this is okay, and it keeps everybody safe. So so that's good. That's right. That's right. 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 So um, so this morning we have a, a pretty good show planned. Um, here we are, early December, and uh, so many things going on. And so this morning we're going to talk for just a moment. I'll introduce our coworker who's going to talk about um, immigration ministries and a posada that's coming up. Um, and then we're going to spend the rest of the show pretty much talking about uh, continuing our Wednesday morning catechesis um, on Theology of the Body. So, so that, that's right. It, it, it's been a great journey. I cannot believe that it's already December. My goodness. Here we go. Yes. We're preparing for Christmas. Advent season. Advent season. So, okay. So with that in mind, why don't we go ahead and introduce our coworker this morning, um, all the way from Immigration Ministries and his home in Chicago is Miguel Salazar. Welcome, Miguel. Hello, everybody. Ray, Don, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. How are you doing, Miguel? We're doing all right. Uh, The best thing is that we're together as a family, me and my wife, my kids, and uh, healthy, Mm -hmm. and just uh, able to continue one day at a time. Yeah, yeah. It's um kind of a different year, but we're almost done with it. <laughs> <laughs> the last the last month of the the crazy year twenty twenty. That's right. That's Thank right. God. So we've got we're like eleven twelfths of the way through. I think New Year's <laughs> Eve is gonna be very exciting this year. <laughs> Even if you are only in your own living room. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so Miguel, the reason we brought you on, you have a unique um way to bring everyone the Posada this year. Usually we walk through the streets and we have singing and mm-hmm. we go through a whole um, a whole journey of like Mary and Joseph uh, being turned away at because like, mm-hmm. there's no room at the inn and people don't welcome them. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on with the Posada this year? Right. We're glad to. Thanks, Don and Ray. Mm-hmm. It's a joy to be on the show with you both. And yeah, I'm very glad to tell everybody about the unique event that we've been having for several years in Chicago mm-hmm. is called the Posada for Immigration Reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I think the key thing to understand is what what's the name, where did it come from? Uh, and the answer to that goes back hundreds of years throughout Latin America in the missionary period, when uh, the colonial period, mm-hmm. when Faced with the great opportunity brought on by Our Lady Guadalupe and the missionaries and the indigenous people and the mixing of cultures, a lot of great things happened, a lot of difficult things happened. One of the beautiful things that happened was the enculturation of the Hispanic and uh, Portuguese and Spanish traditions into the lived reality of the Native American peoples, the African peoples throughout the region. So one of the great things that came out of that was the way to tell the Advent story 
of Joseph and Mary looking for lodging. Mm-hmm. And that's where the word posada comes from. It means lodging. It means uh, a dwelling place. It means a, uh, a temporary place to seek shelter. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's what posada means. So literally, mm-hmm. um, when we say we're having a posada, it may be more accurate to say we're looking for posada. Right? Oh, we're going wow. for an expedition okay. for posada or something like that. Okay. That's what All right. Mary and Joseph are doing. Well, we say we are having a posada anyway, so that's... <laughs> well, you know, you have, to, you have to Americanize it, right? Even <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. And, and, and just uh, practically, right, mm-hmm. it's something that, it's a tradition that's come out since then. So people dress up mm-hmm. as, uh, one person dresses up as Mary, another one as Joseph, maybe some wise men, maybe some donkeys. And they go from place to place in caroling, uh, caroling mm-hmm. um, asking for posada asking for lodging, reenacting mm-hmm. Mary and Joseph's journey with the child Jesus in the womb. Yeah. A beautiful tradition, uh, and usually accompanied by vinyatas, fiestas, parties, after they finally come into the home that receives them. So that's the typical posada. Mm-hmm. takes place in people's homes. This year is going to mm-hmm. be different for people uh, throughout all the world, certainly. Um, and in our case, in Chicago... It, we have been doing a posada for 14 years, and this is the 15th year. It's an amazing mm-hmm. an, uh, anniversary. It's an un- unfortunate anniversary, too, because we're doing this posada in a public way. We've done it downtown in Chicago, um, walking around the streets of downtown Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done it in a public way to ask for posada, reception, dwelling, uh, shelter, legislative shelter specifically for all those folks that are undocumented that find themselves in this country, uh, honest, good people that are looking for a way to provide for their families, maybe in, re- in seeking refuge here in the, the land of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the, uh, the typical, that's the story of our posada. This year it's going to be virtual, has to be virtual this year, online, and we're excited to share uh, some new ways we're doing things, um, a twist twist on the old old way of doing the posada. So it'll be virtual online. So how is that going to kind of culminate? What's it going to look like? How can people be a part of it? Great question. So for our posada, we usually have it at 7 a.m. on Friday, on a certain Friday mm-hmm. in December. And that is a symbolic time, symbolic um, choice, because that's the moment of uh deportations of, of transferring um, folks that have been detained mm-hmm. and that's when they're transferred from their detention centers uh, to the airport or being processed to uh, to be deported so that's a symbolic moment for us mm-hmm. um, and we put that posada in <coughs> solidarity with the, the community so it's that in this case this year it's the 18th of December and that's a Friday Okay. And we're going to publish it at 7 a.m. So folks that want to tune in, it'll be, you can check on our Facebook, on our YouTube, the Archdiocesan account, and you'll be able to see um, essentially a, a premiere of uh, the event at that time. Uh, it will be uh, pre-recorded, so there's going to be nobody on the streets during that time. <laughs> if somebody that has been with us in the past wants to... Uh, 
is in the habit of coming and joining us. There won't be anybody there, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> uh, and that's part of our twist, part of our uh, uh, adjustment that we've had to make, making a success. So, Miguel, are, are you still going to walk from location to location downtown and film it? Or is it um, more of a prayer opportunity and singing or but not actually physical locations? Or how, how is that going to go? Right. Excellent question. Mm-hmm. We will still have, we have clearance to do a very small filming. So we have a very small crew of, uh, of volunteers from the community representing the immigrant community, just up as Mary and Joseph. And we will do the walk okay. uh, beforehand. We'll film it all. And uh, if you happen to be driving by on the day of filming, you might see us. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Somebody will be, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, there sure, certainly will be. A, uh, it would be a funny sight for sure because you see someone dressed up like Mary and Joseph with I'll, masks on. Yeah, and I was going to ask that. I was going to ask that Miguel because uh, usually during this posadas, <laughs> you guys would have uh, beautiful costumes. Mary's all dressed up, and, <clears throat> right. and and Joseph as well. So, will you still <clears throat> have that as you're walking along? That's right. That's the plan for this year. To, again, to make the symbolic representation present uh, and it's a powerful witness in past years we've had a, a, over 200 300 one of our biggest four years we had 500 people mm-hmm. join us 7 a.m on a friday yeah. morning downtown chicago yeah. can you believe that we've done a it beautiful thing <laughs> yeah and you've been there i know yep, you go there. Yep, yep, yep. beautiful it's beautiful it and it's an inspiration to so many people walking by they say what is that what is this group mm-hmm. what are they doing mary joseph and if nothing else it plants a seed of curiosity of interest of maybe jogging those old memories maybe yeah. people that have been away from the church for a while and they see oh mary joseph christmas right you know yes. uh, making the connection to the faith that's the source of all of this ministry to see christ in sure. each other absolutely know? absolutely Okay, so it's it sounds like it's it's going to be very very interesting, and I think even though we've had a very strange year, um, there's been a lot of fruits in the technology um, that we've has been available and making things a little mm-hmm. different, and us being able to include uh, different people that wouldn't normally come out because it's cold. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a cold day, and there's there's a mm-hmm. lot of people who would love to participate, but aren't going to be able to come out and do that walk on, on such a cold day. So I would imagine you'll have a lot of different people that'll tune in to this. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah, yeah we're, we're hoping for a good-sized crowd. And the great thing is, since it's virtual, mm-hmm. we're able to share it with people around the country and even right. with our network mm-hmm. around the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then they can see we can be in solidarity with people all over on this. Certainly, mm-hmm. that's um, pretty exciting. So um, it's on the 18th of December on a Friday morning at 7 a.m., correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. And how, right. how can people, if they, if they don't know how to navigate to the YouTube that you're talking about, how can they do that? There's a couple ways. You can follow us on Facebook at Pastora Migratoria or Immigration Ministry on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You can look us up on the Archdiocesan website. There should be a, a link, a poster okay. um, in there as well. As time goes forward, and if you're on uh, uh, one of our subscriber lists for emails, you can get on that list on the Archdiocese and website, Office Human Dignity Solidarity, Immigration Ministry, mm-hmm. and you can get the email with the link sent to you Great. on the day of. Well, and I would imagine you're doing some advertising um, through our communications team, so probably if you Google it, 
uh, you might find some information about it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's another way. So, mm-hmm. so there's a bunch of different ways. Um, certainly, Miguel, what's a good email address if people have questions and they want to reach out to you or somebody on your team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can send an email directly to me. That's fine. It's M, as in Miguel, Salazar, S-A-L-A-Z-A-R, at archchicago.org. Okay. I'd be more than happy to follow up. Great. All right, so just to recap, it's on December 18th at 7 a.m. You can tune in through Archdiocesan channels. Um, you can reach out to Miguel. He just gave you his uh, his email address. And, you know, we're all excited that we have a new uh, a new way to present the Posada, and we can include so many people in solidarity um, with our, our undocumented brothers and sisters, um, respecting life and bringing people together in the spirit of Christmas. So thank you, Miguel. We appreciate you joining us this morning. So um, again, we are going to continue our Wednesday morning catechesis on theology of the body. So Ray, why don't we kind of recap where we are, what we've been doing the last few months, uh, maybe quickly talk about what we've already talked about, because that's the way John Paul II would have done it, um, and, uh, and then continue. How appropriate is it, though, that we just spoke to Miguel, one of our co-workers in the Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity, yes. and uh, talking about uh, Posada. It's, this is, I, I didn't know that, that uh, Posada really means lodging, or, or mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that whole tradition is just looking for lodging, uh, knocking on doors to uh, open up for, for uh, safe lodging. And this is what we're talking about with the, the theology of the body this time around. As Don mentioned, we're going to do a little bit of review, but this is where we hope to land uh, for this uh, part of our catechesis, is that posada, is that lodging, is eschatological man, where we're heading towards right. uh, in our heavenly home. So uh, this is just, I want to just, we always have to make sure that we're uh, saying this as a disclosure here. Um we're just scratching the surface of Absolutely. this beautiful teaching of John Paul II, uh, known as the theology of the body. We're just scratching the surface here, and we're opening. We've opened up how many weeks ago? How many months ago? Now right. has it been that we opened this up? Uh, it was it was nice and warm back then. Right. It was July or August when we started. Right, and we here started we with original man. Mm-hmm. We started with the very beginning of the story. John Paul II reflects back and points us to that direction of, hey, wait, let's check out on uh, uh, of how God made us in a beautiful way. So we talked about original man. We talked about original solitude. If you all remember that uh, man was alone, but not just alone. He was alone with God. Uh, and then we talked, uh, it led us into that whole reflection of original unity when he when Adam first met Eve, and just that whole uh, man does not make sense of him alone, but with woman, everything is 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 clearer in in, in how they were made in a beautiful way, complementarity um, and, and the way they God made us, man and woman. Right. And we learned that um, because. God prepared an other for each other, um, yes. they could actually see God through that person. Yes. Uh, and, yes and, they... and when they, and before um, anything happened, right. they were able to clearly see God through the other person. Yeah. And, that, and that's a, a great gift. Uh, mm-hmm. And also a reminder for us that we're still able to, to see that. And this is what we're going to uh, tackle a little bit about today as well. 
we're still able to see that nothing, uh, it, it didn't end. Something happened, though, that separated us from this, which is the original sin portion of it mm-hmm. as well. Uh, you know, the the way we, we are reminded by this theology of the body, by this catechesis uh, from John Paul II, that that we are made of a body and soul unity. Right. And unfortunately, with that grasping, that reach, and that uh, grasping of that forbidden fruits, sin and death entered into this world mm-hmm. and split that. And uh, when, I, when I was learning about the theology of the body, that's one of the things that really captured me uh, about body and soul and the separation, the, the meaning of, or, or the, uh, the definition of death is the ripping apart of body and soul. Right. And people, I mean, people today, there's, there's actually um, a heresy that a lot of people subscribe yes. to where they believe that we are not, our body is nothing but a shell to house our soul. Mm-hmm. And once the uh, death occurs, the soul is free. But right, that's, right. A, that's actually a heresy. and Our church mm-hmm. does not teach that, does not subscribe to that. Our church teaches that we are um, 100% body and soul composite, and that right. we, our bodies are just as holy as our souls. It, yes, and, and yeah, I've heard that many of times. Oh, you know, when, when someone passes away, oh, they became an angel. And as Don has mentioned, that's a heresy. Mm-hmm. We are human beings, body and soul composites. And that's what happened with sin. That's what happened when uh, uh, original uh, sin happened, and Adam and Eve reached for that fruit, and there was a beautiful harmony. Before they've eaten of that fruit, there was a beautiful harmony between man and nature. There were no diseases. I I always get asked that question, especially when I'm uh, in uh, high school. Mm -hmm. They they Mm -hmm. always ask me, Mr. Ray, uh, what is this whole God thing? I, I don't get why a loving God would have children die of diseases and famine. And, and I said, yes, but you know what? It, it was not so in the very beginning. Right. Sin and death entered into this world because of that original sin. And we still feel that now, the, the disharmony the, uh, of, of uh, man and nature, uh, mm-hmm. man and other, other uh, uh, people, right? Ourselves here. Uh, there's war now. Um, yeah. And then there's also war within man, uh, the body and soul. Uh, there, there's, there's, uh, it's easier now to rip apart body and soul. Mm-hmm. We're so used to it that we're, we kind of just shrug our mm-hmm. shoulders and say, well, that's what it is. And lastly, the, 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 the harmony uh, between us, man, and God. We, it's harder for us to really tune in and listen and, and uh, uh, know where, uh, where mm-hmm. God is at times and it's in not this broken part. It's not that he's not here. It's not that he's not right. talking to us. We just have um, more distractions and more barriers built up that, you know, in the beginning it was not so. We mm-hmm. recognized God in everything, um, or at least Adam and Eve did before the fall. They recognized God in everything, and they, they knew he was there. Um, right. But once the they ate of the forbidden fruit, it was harder for them to see him the way that they did originally. Here is a reminder that you can listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. Our final highlight today comes from Diakonia, a call to service. This month, we learned from the deacons how hope's on the way. 
Let's take a listen. My name is Deacon Dave Brancic, and I am privileged to serve the Archdiocese of Chicago as the Associate Director for the Office of the Diaconate. I also minister at the Holy Guardian Angels Parish in Brookfield and LaGrange Park. And not as usual today is Deacon Richard Hudzik, the Vicar for Deacons and a deacon at Mary, Mother of Divine Grace in Westchester, who is calling in from his home. And here I am. Hello, Richard. Uh, a good day to you. And how is exotic Westchester? Uh, it's, uh, it's lovely this time of year. Great, great. Well, our show is dedicated to talking about how the call to service is for all God's people, not just those who are ordained deacons of the Catholic Church. It is not a show about deacons, but a show by deacons. The idea is to invite people to try on for size, so to speak, some of the ministry that our deacons are doing so that we might all learn what it means to be a disciple of our Lord. In today's show, we've invited some deacons who are involved with a ministry called Hopes on the Way. Joining us from Lamont are deacons Joe Winblad and John Vidmar. And what we want to accomplish today is to learn about the good work of Hopes on the Way, what it is, who it serves, why it is important, and how we can help. Welcome, Joe and John. Morning. Morning, Dave. Good morning, Dave and Richard. Good morning to you all. Well, could you, Joe and John, could you tell us a little about yourselves, your year of ordination, what parish you serve? Uh, Joe is... Was ordained in 1985, and I am assigned to St. L. St. Patrick's Parish in Lamont. Yeah, and this is uh, Deacon John, and I'm was ordained a couple years after Joe in 1989, and I'm assigned to the Slovenian Catholic Mission in Lamont. Great. And uh, what do you guys do in your in your downtime? Well, we're all retired, so we don't work. We have fun. You have fun. And our day job is our ministry of service. All right. Great. Well, today we want to know more about this wonderful ministry of Hopes on the Way. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, who, who makes up Hopes on the Way? What what do you do? How did it get started? Uh, after the uh, flooding in New Orleans of Katrina, a group of deacons and lay people who are second responders to natural disasters also, we do first response with buckets of hope sent, uh, buckets of cleaning supplies to victims of natural disasters. Thirdly, Cardinal George requested that we hope uh, help in the archdiocese to, with disasters or those ministries that have little or no funds for repairs or renovation of their facilities. So it sounds like, like you guys uh, stay pretty busy. Yeah, we do. Well, how did uh, what prompted the creation of this organization? You said it kind of, kind of grew out of the uh, Hurricane Katrina. We had um, this is uh, Deacon John. One of our deacons was working at the Carmelite headquarters in Woodridge, Illinois, and discovered uh, that they had a lot of facilities in the New Orleans area destroyed by Hurricane Katrina. Uh, and, and what he did is he organized not just deacons but also lay people to go down. And so 
We did 11 missions in total to the New Orleans area, helping first with Carmelite facilities, um, their high schools and convents, rectories, and then also spreading out to, to other facilities in the area that needed help. And from that, there came the inspiration to create a group of people who would be second responders. Who, In essence, the first responders are those who go in and clean up, and what we do is we come in afterwards and, and try to repair facilities. And what kind of repairs are you talking about? We've done everything. We've done electrical work. We've done some plumbing work. We've done a lot of drywalling, a lot of painting. And, of course, you can imagine that after natural disasters, there's a lot of drywall that gets torn out uh, because they've got to be able to ameliorate all of the mold that comes from, from the water that's settling in. And so it's coming in afterwards to repairing the walls and putting up new drywall, uh, running new electrical in some cases, and then painting when it's finished. Yeah, I, I had the privilege of going on two uh, trips with Hopes on the Way and down to New Orleans. And, you know, a year after the, the storm, it was still, the devastation was just overwhelming, seeing all those blue tarps on people's homes and, and the buildings. Uh, so yeah, you've David, gone... Let me, let me add to that. One, one of the things, if you take a look at, we've had the worst hurricane season in, I think, the post-World War II area. Yeah. Um, and you have areas such as Lake Charles, Louisiana, which butts up against the Texas border. In the last three months, they have been hit three times. Uh, Catholic Charities there just had their telephones restored about two and a half weeks ago. Wow. Uh, you have any, planning any trips to uh, Lake Charles? Yeah, we'd love to. One of the problems we're running into is coronavirus, and, and so there are issues concerning travel restrictions. There's problems with where we would stay. There's problems in terms of who's permitted to go in. So at the current time, every place that we've talked to, there were tornadoes, for example, that hit Nashville, Tennessee, uh, back in February, and we had planned a mission, and, uh, and the local community groups asked us to just hold off because there was no place where they could put us up. So uh, Joe and John, uh, besides uh, New Orleans, where else has Hopes on the Way helped out? Well, we... We're responding to Hurricane Sandy with the repairs in uh, New Jersey, Washington, Illinois after tornado, uh, Harrisburg, Mississippi after tornado. Um, Buckets of Hope presently has shipped over 4,000 buckets to disaster areas. This represents free will donations from people and parishes of about $120,000. Now tell me a little bit more about Buckets of Hope. What does that consist of? Well, the Buckets of Hope is a bucket of cleaning supplies, 14 items that are placed in a five-gallon pail or bucket and then sealed. And they're available. Fortunately, now we have the ability to warehouse and store them so that when there's a disaster, we can uh, ship. We rely on allied van, air, allied van lines that deadhead back south many times to carry our buckets uh, as a gratuitous donation. And uh, so you've had like different drives in, in parishes. People have collected uh, these items? Before... Uh, the uh, epidemic, yes, we were able to supply uh, empty buckets to parishes. They would be asked the parishioners or school children as a project to uh, collect 
cleaning items, put them in a bucket, and then it would be picked up by our group, checked and ready for shipment to destinations, yes. And is this Buckets of Hope still still continuing now? I know you said yeah, the pandemic has had an impact, but uh, how is it yeah. continuing? Uh, yes, presently we have shipped to Galveston, um, Houston, Catholic Charities Warehouse, 213 buckets. Uh, we have about 354 buckets ready to be shipped to Lake Charles area. Uh, Immaculate Conception Cathedral is willing to accept them still. Uh, we're hoping to find someone who will deadhead or deliver them down there, and that's our prayer and hope presently that it will be soon rather than later. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, locally, you've done a number of other projects. Uh, can you tell me about some of those? We've been all over the diocese. Uh, the Franciscan Homeless Shelter on the near west side of Chicago, we've built bunk beds for them. We've done retiling. Uh, the Joseph and Mary Retreat House up in Mundelein, we've done penny work. St. Nicholas in Evanston, um, pastor there was, was actually our former vicar, and he asked us to jump in and create a new dining room uh, in kitchen in order to separate out the area for uh, the religious in the building versus where the rest of the people who are part of the, the Paris Center. We've shipped chainsaws to Puerto Rico, so it was so expensive to go to Puerto Rico, we decided to pull our money, and instead we had a plea for one of our deacons from the archdiocese who retired there to, to send them chainsaws because they couldn't get access to any. Monica's house, which is in the located in the parish where Cardinal George considered home, St. Pascal Balin, up at, uh, near Irving and Kedzie, uh, we've actually gone in and basically helped remodel the whole structure in order to make it applicable for women and, and their children. Uh, Emmaus House is a ministry that was started by one of our, our own deacons from the Chicago Archdiocese, which is an outreach program to, to gay prostitutes. We've gone in two different facilities and helped them remodel in order to create counseling areas. The Chaos House is another place we spend a lot of time at. It's a, it's a home that's down in Pullman. It's a converted old convent, and it's, it's one of Bishop Perry's projects, and it's an outreach program to men who have been released from jail or who are homeless. So we've helped rebuild huge parts of, of that particular structure. Lately, in the past three months, St. Vincent de Paul asked us to reach out, reached out to us and asked us if we could help rebuild their trailers. They had a lot of old beat-up trailers, so we've tried to get them weatherproof again, repair the electrical connections so they can use them again to pick up materials. Here in Lamont at St. Mary's Retreat House, which is an outreach program to people in AA, we've spent the last couple of years rebuilding it, and it's become our ministry center. Uh, It's also permitted us to collect dry goods for Colby House, uh, the the center which is focused on families of, of the of the prison population at Cook County Jail. Uh, we collect sandwich meat for the Beds Plus program. Beds Plus runs 16 different homeless shelters across the, the western and, and south suburbs. And we also, through another uh, source, managed to get sandwich meat to help the port industries to help their soup kitchens. Wow. <laughs> you guys definitely are busy. But tell me, do you have to be a craftsman to be part of Hopes on the Way? Do I have to be electrician or a carpenter, or do you just take any other regular volunteers? We'll take anybody that's ready and able. 
Uh, fortunately, we have many people within our group who are tradesmen and craftsmen and can provide instruction for, for lay people. So we've managed, managed to do a lot of projects where we've got applicable supervision uh, and be able to bring in people who rel are relatively untrained, but we break the task down to something that is totally safe for them to do. And I want to emphasize one other thing. This isn't just deacons. This, is, this particular ministry is, is, was originally led by deacons, but the outreach has been to the lay people in order to bring them in, into this service function that's part of diaconia. And uh, I'd say at this point we probably have half the people that work in our projects are, are, are lay people. And when we go on a project, one of the great things about it is that you have no idea who the deacons are, who are the lay people who are all in there working together. And you, and you guys are known for your red shirts, right, that say hope's on the way? Yeah, that's it. That helps make sure that you can't differentiate between who's ordained and who's not ordained. We're all, all part of hope's on the way, all doing the service of God. Wow. So uh, tell us then, uh, you know, the natural disasters, uh, you know, that, that's just going to be an ongoing thing. They never end, right? It's absolutely true. If you take a look at the, the hurricane patterns that, that have hit from Texas sweeping through the Gulf Coast, around uh, the Florida coast, all the way up to North Carolina. Uh, you know, up here in the north, we're, in, we're not aware of how much devastation this occurs on an annual basis. Uh, but in reality, it's rare the year that you don't have a major hurricane hitting somewhere in that particular section. And these are devastating to many areas. And, uh, and so what we've done is we've tried to set up networks with, first of all, the diaconate community and, and all of those dioceses bordering the Gulf Coast and the Atlantic as well as Catholic charities in order to be able to extend help out when they need it. You know, we're facing coronavirus. This has been going on for months now. What kind of impact has the pandemic had on your ministry? Well, I think the um, dimension of incorporating parish response and the people is sort of a dead issue. We did have a conversation with Bishop Whippich and the uh, deanery group here on our uh, cluster. And, of course, the idea was rather than putting buckets in people collecting and bringing, we asked that there be a free will donation, um, and we would provide a bulletin article if any pastor wished to do that. So, anyway, we did present the idea that uh, it would be a free will request, and so far we haven't heard anything uh, positive on that, but we did present it. Um, fortunately, uh, or a blessing was that an article by Joyce DeRiga in a Catholic, new uh, Catholic, Chicago Our Catholic, um, brought in close to $4,500 from free will donations. And that's where we are right now. We're able to, again, start to assemble buckets and fill them with supplies. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel youtube.com slash catholic chicago our thanks to abc7 for televising our english sunday mass at 9 30 in the morning to univision for televising our spanish language mass at 10 a.m and polevision for televising our polish language mass sunday at 9 a.m and 3 p.m 
Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio, 9.50 and 9.30 a.m. I'm Michael May for a Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everybody. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.